0: Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to Luke chapter 15. Let me get back to these three parables that we find in Luke chapter 15. Today, we begin in verse 11, the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. It says, then he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to the father give me the portion of goods that falls to me so he divided to them his livelihood and not many days after the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living but when he had spent all their spent all there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods uh, that the swine ate, and uh, no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants and we're going to stop there and go to the Lord once again in prayer father god we do thank you for all that you do for us we thank you god that you are a god of second chances and third fourth and fifth chances and lord that you are always longing and looking for us to come back to you and i just ask you father that you teach us this morning from this parable we thank you for all of it in jesus name amen Now, this parable of the prodigal son, some people say that it may be the greatest short story ever told, and it's the story of somebody, and it's the story of everybody. It is the story of every single one of us. Luke 15 records these three parables that are not in any other of the... uh, Gospels, it's just these three, just this chapter in Luke chapter 15, and he gives the three parables, the one of the lost sheep and the lost coin, and now the lost son, but the dynamic of this last parable is a little bit different from the first two. In both the lost sheep and the lost coin, the emphasis was on the one who had lost and was searching to recover that. And what it's teaching is that God's desire is for us to come back to him. When we get separated, when we are lost, God is always searching. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to seek and to save that which is lost. His desire is for all those that have drifted away from God to come back to him, he uh, he wants to rescue us, he wants to save us. Now, nothing in those first two parables is said about the sheep or the coin. Nothing is said about them while the searcher was seeking after them. Nothing is said about them. But in the last parable, the emphasis is not necessarily on the one that is searching, but the one that was lost. It's talking about this prodigal son, and I want to share a few things to you this morning about how, what it takes, what causes us, number one, to leave uh, our relationship with God or the security that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ or or. Uh, the teachings uh, that God has given us over the years and and, uh, see how we can find our way back home. Now, the first point of my message is the getting away. And let me reread verses 11 through 13. It says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the young son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country and uh, wasted his possessions with prodigal living. The first part of this parable gives us insight about why people leave home spiritually. I believe that the younger son... What he did there was not very un, uh, not very much different than what a lot of people do in our world today. We do something very similar to what he does. This young man, he was about 17 or 18 years old. He was single, and it was common in that day for a 17-year-old or an 18-year-old to get married and to start their own uh, family and their own home and start their own household and and direct their own livelihood today many of our young people are doing the same thing by the time they get to be 17 or 18 years old they're beginning to look and feel their independence and start looking to where they want their lives to go many times once they graduate uh, from high school which some of you are doing this week once they graduate from high school to college and the the lessons that I've learned over the years that many times once that child goes away to college they never come back home they very seldom come back home they start their own life they'll find somebody at college if they hadn't already and uh, get married and then they'll start their own household much like this young man did in this story and they decide that uh, no longer am I under My parents' responsibility, but I'm under my own responsibility. It's time for me to step up to the plate. It's time for me to start making decisions for myself. And uh, they love that freedom. They love that getting away. They love that uh, understanding that they are responsible for themselves. They're thinking about their own independence and start setting the course for their own lives. Now in this culture in which Jesus lived, the older son would get the vast majority of the inheritance. Evidently, this uh, father was uh, well-to-do. He had property. He had uh, uh, livestock. He had money. He had servants. He had a uh, uh, a large home, and he took care of a lot of people. So uh, when it came time to dividing up the inheritance, the older son got the vast majority of that inheritance somewhere between uh, a little bit more than 75%, a little bit less than 80%. The studies that I've done says that the younger son would have gotten about two nights Now, I don't know how, I'm not that, I didn't figure it out what the exact percentage was, but it's somewhere between 75 and 80 percent. Two ninths of the inheritance would be his, and all the rest of it would be going to his older son. So he decided that he would ask his father, go ahead and give me my inheritance now. And the father, being a loving father and a caring father and knowing that he was going to be taking care of his son, he says, okay, I will do that. And so he divided it up, and he gave the younger son the amount of inheritance that he would receive, somewhere around uh, two-ninths of the uh, uh, total uh, inheritance. The Bible then says that the young man took that, and he went into a far country, and... uh, He spent it on some translations, say, riotous living. Some translations, like mine here, the New King James, it says in prodigal living. That's that's the reason it gets the name, the parable of the prodigal son. What it means, though, literally it means to save nothing. To save nothing. And to just spend your life, and it also carries carries a... uh, a, a, a an understanding of spending your uh, possessions on immoral uh, living. And it doesn't mention that, and I think it's interesting that it doesn't, and I'll tell you why in just a moment, but it doesn't say anything about the things that uh, this son could have been doing. It doesn't talk about drunken parties. It doesn't talk about uh, spending uh, your money on on... Uh, illicit relationships with women. It doesn't talk about spending your money on gambling. It doesn't say anything. And of course, it probably wasn't as prevalent back in that day. But today, it doesn't say anything about drug abuse. It doesn't say any of those things. And I think it's that way for a purpose. I think it's that way for a reason. Because to Jesus, it doesn't really matter what he did. It doesn't really matter what he did. Because see, there was a catch. When that younger son received his inheritance, and it was not uncommon in that day for a younger son to do this, but there was a catch to it. The younger son could take his inheritance, but he wasn't supposed to dispose of it. He wasn't supposed to spend it. He wasn't supposed to do anything with it until his father died. He could have it, and it could be security for him. He could put it in the bank. He could do something, and, uh, uh, but he wasn't supposed to spend it. He wasn't supposed to dispose of it until his daddy died. Now, this young man, the Bible says, just a couple of days after he received it, he went off to into a far uh, country, and he squandered that money on prodigal living or immoral living. In doing that, what he did was that he just considered his father dead. He considered his father irrelevant. He considered his father as already being gone. It didn't matter the things that he had been taught as he grew up, it didn't matter any of the, the lessons that his father and his mother taught him as he was a child maturing. It didn't matter what the customs of the day was. It didn't matter what his father's desire was. What he was going to do, he was 18, he was single, he was going to go his way, and he was going to do what he wanted to do, just like his father, as if his father wasn't even alive. Now, he knew that his father was alive, but his father just wasn't relevant in his decision-making today. Now, folks, let me draw a line here because I know lots of people, and this is the reason I say that this parable is about somebody and it's about everybody because there are times in each and every one of our lives when we've been confronted with something that we knew we shouldn't do, that we know that God wouldn't be pleased with. There are things that we are confronted with that we know we should be doing, but we're not doing it. And what it means is, it's not that we would say God is dead. We're not atheists. We're not saying that God doesn't exist. What we're saying is, I know God exists, but I'm going to do what I want to do rather than what God wants me to do. Amen? That's exactly what this prodigal son was doing. He knew what his dad wanted him to do. He knew what he'd been taught all of his life. He knew all of that kind of stuff, but he decided it doesn't matter. I'm old enough to tell to make my own decisions. I'm going to do what... I want to do now let me ask you something isn't that the exact same thing that Eve said in the Garden of Eden when Satan tempted her and what did what 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 did Satan say surely you won't die surely uh, he won't hold that against you forever surely you can make your own decisions that's what he he was basically telling her that god's afraid that you don't get to the place where you think you can decide for your own life rather than listening to what god has to say that you can make yourself into a god where you can decide for yourself forget about what you're taught forget about what god says You can decide for yourself. And folks, listen to me. I know people, I can't, let let me see how I want to say this. I believe every single person in this auditorium, certainly including me, have come up to times in our lives when we knew what we were supposed to do and we didn't do it because we thought we could decide for ourselves. Amen? Amen. That's what, exactly what this uh, prodigal son did. He didn't think his father was dead. He knew his father wasn't dead. He had just become irrelevant to him, and he was going to decide on his own what he wanted to do. So he went away. He went away. There are people that uh, uh, I enjoyed baptizing those two young men in the baptistry a little while ago. And there have been plenty of times where I've baptized young kids, middle-aged kids, teenagers, older, grown men. I baptized one time a man that was 79 years old. Okay, so, hey, it it, it, it goes the whole way. But I have seen people who have made a profession of their faith that say they love Jesus, that say they believe in God, that say they want to live right, they want to live a Christian life, they want to live for God and to serve Him, to only see them as time goes by, maybe they start feeling their own independence and decide, well, I'm going to do what I want to do, you know? And sometimes they quit coming to church. Sometimes they get involved in things that they ought not do. As young people, sometimes they decide, hey, listen, uh, uh, it's time, in my generation, it's going out sowing your wild oats, and and, uh, they think it's time to do that, and and, uh, they get away, and they get away, and they get away. But... I want you to know what the reality of that life is really like because, you see, moving away from God doesn't always start with something bad. Most of the time, it starts with something very attractive. It starts with something very exciting. It starts with something that makes you feel alive and important and, and uh, something that gives you pleasure and something that makes you feel like you were somebody. That's how the devil starts. That's the way it it started off in the beginning. You remember when that forbidden fruit? Uh, the devil showed her that it was pleasant to the eyes and it was good for eating. And and it didn't start. it wasn't a piece of rotten meat hanging on that tree. It was something beautiful. It was something tasty. It was something good. Listen, listen. The devil never baits his hook with bad bait. He always baits it with attractive bait, good bait, exciting bait. He always baits his hook with something that seems really great. But don't ever forget, there's always the hook. There's always the hook. This young man thought he was doing something wonderful. Boy, he's going to have his freedom. It didn't matter what he got taught growing up. It didn't matter that his dad was still looking for him. It didn't matter that all these things were, uh, uh supplied for him. As he grew up, he wanted to make his own decisions. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. And, uh, He got the opportunity and he started to do that and it slips away and it slips away and it slips away. Can I share something with you this morning when we are moving away from God? And listen to me, folks. If you're not closer to the Lord right now than you've ever been, then you're moving away. Amen. You're moving away. You're going in the, the wrong direction. And sooner or later, sooner or later, not right away, but sooner or later, the resources ran out. See, Satan tries to get you to believe that everything is great, Everything is super. Everything is fun and exciting until, until your resources run out. And I'm talking about not just money, but that could be a part of it, but your time, your emotional energy, your spiritual well-being, they begin to run dry, and that's when you're at your weakest point, and that's when Satan pounces. Notice what it says. It says when he spent it all, when it all ran out, there came a great famine in the land. It doesn't say that the famine came in while everything was fat and sassy, when everything was just going great, that's not when the famine came. That's not when the real test came. It's when our resources run low. Our spiritual energy, our emotional energy, our, our strength, our time, when they start to run low, that's when Satan attacks. When he doesn't attack you on your strengths, He attacks you on your weaknesses, and he makes it look so, so, so attractive. But the Bible says that everything went away. I can identify that a little bit. Most of you know that I was saved in jail and that... uh, I, during high school, my dad had a great job. We had plenty of money. I had 14 cars from the time I was 16 to the time I was 21, and uh, all brand-new cars. And, uh, and we, we, were, we were pretty well off. I thought everything was hunky-dory. I thought it would always be that way. And because of the lifestyle I was living, I got arrested for a capital offense. I spent five months in jail waiting to go to trial and uh, had the prosecuting attorney beg the jury to give me the electric chair. Now listen, I had all kinds of friends. I was one of the popular kids in school. I had all kinds of friends. I was an athlete. I was a good student. I, I, I mean, everything was going well for me. When I got arrested... I don't know how many friends I had. I, uh, hundreds in the city of Gainesville. But I spent those five months in jail. Listen to me. Listen to me. Not one of them, none of them, came to visit me. None of them wanted to see how I was doing. None. Of, hey, hey, as long as I had plenty of money, as long as I was driving a nice car, as long as I was willing to do things for them, oh, they thought I was super. But when all of that was taken away, they went away too that's what happened to this young man. He had to join himself that word join it actually means to glue oneself I mean he had to he had to grab hold of this person that was not uh from uh, not a Jew. He wasn't a Jewish person. He was a Gentile. And he had to join himself to that person and he had to go feed the swine. And the Bible teaches that he he had nothing to eat. He had no place to turn. And he had to eat of the food that he fed the swine. In other words, pig slop is what he had to eat from. Everything was gone. He had lost it all because he decided that he was going to do what he wanted to do rather than what he was learned from his childhood up, rather than doing what he knew his father wanted him to do, his heavenly father wanted him to do, and he was found in this kind of a situation. Folks, listen to me. Satan's bait is always attractive, but it's always got a hook. And when that hook is set, it's not fun. It's not fun. And uh, things seem to start going downhill. You start losing all kinds of things. He joined himself to this guy and he found himself feeding on the pig slop. But that's not the end of the story. The third point of my message is coming home. It says in verse 17, and I love the way he says it. Jesus was a master at storytelling. He said he came to himself. I call it my V8 moment. Have you ever seen the V8 commercial? It just finally dawned on him. It just finally dawned. It says he came to himself. And basically, what that means is that he came to his senses. In other words, he was out of his mind doing the things that he was doing. He didn't realize it, but he was just out of his mind doing the things that he was doing. And it says that he came to himself. And he said to himself, self, the servant, even the least of the servants in my father's household have plenty of bread to eat and bread to spare. He says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get up from this hog pen and I'm going to go to my father and tell him, oh, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. Would you please take me back? Not as a son but would you please take me back just as a a servant? That's what he was going to do. That's what he said in his mind. That's what he said to himself, that he was going to go ask his father that he could just be a, a servant in the household. But it goes on to tell, I didn't read this part, and we don't have time to do it this morning, but you know the story. The father, the father, the father was waiting. He didn't give up on his son. He didn't give up on him, and he was waiting and he was he was out he was out on the edge of the property, leaning up against a fence post, most likely, and he saw his son coming from afar off he didn't wait for his son to come and beg him to take him back to be a servant he didn't wait for his son to come back and 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 uh uh pay penance and All of that kind of stuff to grovel and ask him to come back. The father saw his son coming and he ran to him and he wrapped his arms around him and he kissed him on his neck and he says, my son who was dead is now alive. He's come back. He was gone. He was separated. He thought I was dead, but he came back and uh, oh, make merry in the household. He called the servant kill the fatted calf, put, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, let him know, put a robe around him to help him to understand that I receive him back not as a servant but as my son, as my son. Now, let me bring this to a close. I don't know. I don't know. But I suspect that there may be someone here today. You were brought up in a Christian home. You knew the things of God. You came, you grew up coming to church on Sunday. Some of you may have been coming to Hebron Baptist Church growing up. You, I mean, I mean you knew. But there's been some times... There's been some times when you say, I'm an old man. I can do what I want to do. I can make decisions for myself. You don't realize you're saying it, but this is what you're saying. You're saying I'm smarter than God. I'm smarter than my parents. I'm smarter than those that are trying to tell me how to live my life. I can choose for myself the way I want to live my life. Oh, the bait is pretty. The bait is pretty. Satan just knows how to, you know, give it a little wiggle. He knows just how to make it look even more attractive. But boy, once you grab hold of it, he sets that hook. And things begin. To go south from there. Folks listen to me. If that's ever happened to you. If you struggle. If you're wondering. Exactly. Where I stand right now. In God's sight. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. He loves you. He loves you more than you love yourself. He loves you enough that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on Calvary's cross just for you. And if you are willing to come home to him, if you're willing to come back, if you're willing to make things right, he's more than ready. He wants to run to meet you, wrap his arms around you, kiss you on your neck, and let you know that you are indeed a child of God. And <laughs> then, great, what a great God it is that we worship and serve. Let's pray together, Father God. We thank you for today. I thank you for all these folks here this morning. I thank you, God, for these two young men who were baptized this morning. I just ask your blessings on each and every one of these folks. I pray, God, that you take my words and you speak to their hearts. And, Lord, that uh, if there's any here that need to take that first step coming back, I pray, God, that you speak to them even right now. Let them know that they need to be a part Of what you're doing. That they can become everything. That they can be. In Christ. Lord I say. I ask. Have your way. In our hearts today.